wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. Welcome to Bleeding Daylight. You can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Find the links at bleedingdaylight.net. Please leave your ratings and reviews on your favourite podcast app. It helps others discover Bleeding Daylight and to hear stories of people kicking against the darkness. You may have heard that God loves you thousands of times in your life. But does he actually like you? That's one of the questions I'll explore with my guest today. The pandemic has dramatically changed so much in both our public and our private worlds. For many, it has amplified feelings of loneliness, of not feeling enough, disconnectedness and shame. Dr. Bill Senyard is an experienced pastor, discipler, church revitalization specialist, lecturer and conference speaker. He's the author of 12 books and he has researched both the recent science and theology related to shame, loneliness and unforgiveness in order to help people find healing and to move forward. Bill is my guest on Bleeding Daylight today, and together we'll explore his findings and his solutions. Bill, thank you so much for your time. It's so good to be here. So good. Let's start with your why. Why did you decide to research the kind of issues that you did? Uh, yeah, that's that's very personal. I mean, um, for a lot of reasons, I'm shame prone. I wouldn't have said that until after I became a Christian and, and got some counseling for the whole thing. When I became a Christian at age 21, I, I got it. I got the theology. God loved me. But it took 15 years for me to actually realize that that means God actually likes me. It's just something inside my head. Attachment theorists call it inner working models. But uh, it took me that long, and I was, I was in seminary being counseled by a spiritual formation professor, and I, it just all of a sudden, the Spirit made me see that God actually adores me, wants to be with me, is smiling over me, dancing over me. And Rodney, I went into depression, actually, uh, because I thought, oh my gosh, I've just wasted 15 years. When I finally was let out of the depression, it changed how I preached. It changed how I did pastoral counseling. It changed how I lived my life. Uh, and, and that's the message that I carried into my pastorate for 25 years, is to help Christians become more aware of just how much God actually adores them, strictly because of what Jesus did for them 2,000 years ago. We often talk about things dropping from our head to our heart, but yeah. I suspect that's an oversimplification that there's a lot more yeah. to it. Uh, yeah. And we really need to come to grips with the fact that God doesn't just love us. He actually yeah. likes us and, and wants to be around us as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, the caricature of Christians in the world, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a spectrum, right? But the middle shape, the middle of the bell shaped curve is that we're just not a lot of fun and we're way too serious and judgmental and exclusive. I mean, two thirds of Gen Y and Gen Z have already left our churches. And many of us think they're just not going to come back because they don't see us as as relevant. They, they see us as shaming and legalistic and presenting a Jesus that just doesn't look like the Jesus of the Gospels. And that's the thing. When we look at the scriptures, 
we see that we have this life-giving message and we're trying to share a life-giving message with others and yet there's something inside us that doesn't actually connect with it ourselves. What (laughs) have you found to be that disconnection? Yeah. I mean, I I think... Well, back to the your introduction, you just nailed it. Is is humanly speaking, we're we're all desperately looking for enoughness and connectedness. Enoughness speaks of, you know, am I big enough, strong enough, smart enough, righteous enough? If I'm a Christian, spiritual enough, have enough faith, and I want to have enough. I want to be enough. And we think if we are, if we're enough enough, then we'll be happy and we'll have good relationships. The other thing we want is connectedness, which which speaks to loneliness and isolation. So enoughness speaks of shame. Connectedness speaks of loneliness and isolation. It, when Jesus and Paul and James and Peter talk about the good news, it ultimately wraps around those two things, enoughness and connectedness. But I have to tell you, Rodney, we don't preach that from the pulpit. From the pulpit, we generally preach, and there's a bit of a character, I get this, but I can do this since I was a pastor for 25 years, is we talk about the things we need to do in order to get God to like us. And if we did them enough, we would feel more enough. And if we did them enough, then God would connect with us enough. We hold this carrot out to, to people. And you know our brains are basically going, well, when am I actually going to feel that? I've been working really hard. And oh my goodness, I failed again today. So shame hits. Two-thirds, according to, to one survey, two-thirds of Christians believe when they see Jesus face-to-face when we go to heaven, that he will be disappointed in us. Well, God help us. What are we preaching? What are we communicating? And and I think we we pastors and teachers and Bible study leaders and, and people who are creating commentaries, we need to really, for the particularly Gen Y and Gen Z, we really have to be clear about that because that generation has the highest anxiety numbers, loneliness numbers, depression numbers, suicide ideation numbers in, in recent history. So the good news could be powerfully good news for Gen Y and Gen Z, but we have to train ourselves and be more disciplined in unpacking the gospel for that message. And of course, we talk about this connection with God that comes through faith alone, that there is grace poured into our lives. But as you say, what we're often hearing is, but do this, do this, do this. We would reject this idea of a faith based on works yeah. And yet we hear it preached so often in different yeah. ways. Well said, Rodney. And and look, we need to give people things to do, right? We just don't sit around on our hands. Uh, so here's a, here's a set of verses that I go to. I've preached this on three continents, multiple people groups, sexes, skin colors, mother tongues. I mean, so I'm going to say this is universal good news. But this is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians in Ephesians 3.14. And just listen to this. For this reason, Paul says, and he's going to model what to do. So he's speaking to this church that's going to get beat up. And we know from Revelation, they, they end up messing up. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. So he's going to pray. He's going to ask from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray out of his glorious riches may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So Paul is asking for power from God that we don't have. It's not from inside of us. This is not positive attitude or just try harder. We're asking helplessly, humbly for something from God through the spirit in our inner being. That's the thing that makes us Christians ultimately is that we have the spirit in our inner being. And here we go. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power. He says power 
three times in this small section, suggesting we desperately need something from God regularly, together with all the saints, power to grasp how wide and high and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. He's saying there that I actually need daily power from God that I don't have before I can today begin to experience Jesus's love for me. Meaning, I don't wake up experiencing Jesus's love. I do participate, but the participation isn't trying to work harder to look better so that you know Jesus might look at me and go, oh, he's trying. It's actually asking God for power to make me feel how much he adores me. Well, Rodney, that's just not being preached very often, and, and it's tragic because it's so simple a child could, or like I say, it's so simple a pastor could do it. <laughs> and you mentioned a couple of times there that we want to feel this. Now, many people in Christian circles would say, but it's not about our feelings. What would you yeah. say to them? Yeah, you know, I'm a, a attachment theory expert. This morning, I actually did a uh, a webinar for, for counselors, Christian counselors on the attachment theory for adults. So attachment theory is teaching us that the brain isn't really divided so cleanly into the rational and the emotional brain. It's all mushed together. They're all intertwined. So there's no such thing as just being rational or just being emotional, thinking or feeling. It's all jumbled together. And if you, uh, if you read the Old Testament, the Jewish understanding of the brain it's all together. When they talk about uh, the mind or will or emotion or heart, they're generally, not all the time, but generally they're talking about the entire person. We post-enlightenment, post-rational movement, we tend to worship the brain, the uh, the thinking brain, the prefrontal cortex, as if that's the the thing that that God's talking to. And it's, it's, it's important. That's how we teach. That's how we learn. But then there's this limbic system, this the middle brain, that frankly is much more powerful than our prefrontal cortex. It has all the chemicals. It's got epinephrine, norepinephrine, dopamine. It's got cortisol. Cortisol in the fight, flight, and freeze cycle, the fear cycle, it actually shuts down my my thinking brain. So if we, if we had to lean on one of them, we would say that that God is actually the, the import of the gospel is for me to actually holistically feel this uh, height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ, but also to rationally know it. Paul continues in that passage that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Well, Rodney, that's a crazy statement. I mean, I don't, I'm not even sure how to parse that. It's too good to believe. I got to tell you, it, it's gonna, it's good, but to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, look, that's that's rational and emotional. It's, it's the whole tamale. I'm glad that you got there because that is one of my favorite passages. And when it gets to that part mm. of filled with all the fullness of God, right? it's like, really? What, what really? do you do how, with that? How can, we, how can we contain that? And and yet right. that's what Paul is praying for people. And, and I find so yep. often that these days, and, and this is not wrong, but these days so often we, we will pray for – for Auntie Jean's sore knee, and we'll pray for this and we'll pray for that. And yet Paul gives us a different way to pray that, hey, I want this. This is far above all these things. And as I say, it's not wrong to to pray for those things that touch us daily, but there's something bigger that we need to connect with. Now, 
I need to touch on the fact that you are mentioning the way that the brain is put together, the different yeah. chemicals in the brain, and that's part of the science. And there would be some people who say, ah, yes, but science tries to disprove God when yeah. some of us would realize, well, actually, it's just yeah. working out how amazing God is at putting us together. Speak to Boy, me about so well our connection with science. That's so well said, Rodney. I don't know if I can improve on what you just said. Look, God God created science, <laughs> so he's not intimidated by science or afraid of science. Uh, sci some scientists uh, see God and science linked together. Many have, and many, many don't. I think that's part of the mission, right? But we who believe that God created all things and is working all things together for good, that would include science. I'm not intimidated by science. I love it. But you know what? I'm, I'm willing to be corrected on things. If science comes up and proves certain things, and, and I thought, you know, oh, that's surprising. Okay, let's see if we can work this in. I'm, I'm okay with that. It's, it's not giving, uh, giving away anything. God is the God of science. Yeah, I, I think we Christians should be plunging into science freely without fear. And this is what you've done in, in part of yep. your research as you've, you've looked into the science, you've looked into the theology, and that's very evident in, in where you're yep. coming from. And you've found certain things that are ways to help people along, all coming from your own experience way back yeah. when. But of course, as I've mentioned, the pandemic seems to have exacerbated all this. What are yeah. some of the symptoms that you're seeing in people because of this pandemic? Yeah, some psychologists and researchers are uh, identifying it as COVID PTSD. So the things that we're identif we've identified with PTSD when when people come from armed conflict and other cases. So uh, the the quick trigger, the depression, the anxiety, the difficulty with relationships, the nightmares, those kind of things. We're going to be seeing more and more of that related to to COVID. People have been under stress, and that's just going to exacerbate what Gen Y and Gen Z has been feeling already. So this morning I was talking to counselors and telling them, look, you've got job security for a decade because you're going to see more people struggling with relationships, with their emotions, dysregulating emotions, with suicide ideation. Opioid use is on the rise again to, to deal with the pain. Loneliness is on the rise. Isolation, of course, partly with the mask, partly with the lock-ins. We're just a lonely generation. And as we said early on, I, I don't think the church is laser focused on helping out in those areas. We should be. We've got the message. Just Ephesians 3 alone should give us a lot of uh, ammunition going in. And of course, you're mentioning loneliness there. Now, that's an interesting one because mm -hmm. we've all got so many friends, hundreds of friends and, and hundreds of people that follow us on Instagram. <laughs> and yet we seem to be lonely. Yeah. Uh, draw a picture between what we see online where we have more friends than ever before and what yeah. our personal experience is. Yeah. Well, you know, let me go back to attachment theory. I'm just going to quick, and you can dig in and, and ask for clarification, but but there's two types of attachment quadrants that, that really reflect insecure personalities. And one is called anxious. The anxious person, when they were an infant, they, they didn't get the, the attention they were they wanted from their caregiver, from their parents. And so they learned to, to leverage relationships. So the little anxious baby would sit in the middle of the room and just cry, just cry their eyes out. And the idea was to, to manipulate 
this is subconscious, right? This was a child who isn't thinking through this strategically to get their a friendly face in front of them so that their diaper could get changed or fed or uh, them being comforted. Well, that little child grows up to be an all other things equal, grows up to be an anxious adult. And so they leverage relationships in order to get a friendly face in front of them. So in other words, they tend to use people. So they're not getting any real benefit from this. They're still extremely lonely. They're still wondering if they're enough, but their focus has been on manipulating people. And I would say they're lonely. The other type of character would be the avoidant, and I'm I'm in that category. The avoidant person would deny loneliness, even though they have lots of friends, they have boundaries in uh, subconscious inner working models that are there. So they could have a thousand friends and still be lonely at the end of the day because they're there's a fear of opening up. So on average, uh, that, that reflects 40% of the population. If you're, if you're in uh, an uh, upper-class suburb, white area, and it's, it could represent as much as 70% if you're in a minority, urban, more risky setting. Oh, and by the way, the anxious person loves social media and is pushing for likes and is measuring those things, but they're lonely. They still struggle with lonely like the rest of us. What we're looking for is the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ. That's what we've been made for. And if I'm experiencing that, my cup's full and I don't need, and that's the active word, I don't need other people's approval or I don't need other people to tell me that I'm great. And I don't need even, I don't even need other friends as much to the point that I'm going to leverage relationships. The way I like to put it is, because of the way the world has beat the, the podunk out of us, the crap out of us, Rodney, we're emptied cups. And emptied cups are desperate. And we feel lonely, disconnected, and we feel ashamed. We don't measure up, which is not enough. That's where we start the day. This sense of being not enough, this sense of being lonely, we mm-hmm. see that it really is in in huge proportions right across the world. And yeah. yet we live in a time when we've had several decades of this whole idea of building self-esteem as we've tried to build into ah. people's self-esteem and tell people yeah. you're okay, everything about you is great. Where yeah. has that failed? Oh, so many levels. Uh, first of all, we've separated humanity from its creator. Uh, in the Old Testament, one of my favorite books, actually, my first book was co-authored uh, with a lady by the name of Colleen Pepper out of Canada on the Song of Songs of Solomon. We call it the kiss of God. But it's this its this lady who had zero self-esteem. And even though the great lover king, God, is, is telling her she's perfect, she's lovely, she's adorable, he wants to pursue her romantically, she can't hear it. Uh, she can't hear the, the acclamation. And so this is true for, for, for the anxious and the avoidant. They, they don't have the capacity to feel better about themselves because in the end, they're emptied cups. So something powerful has to go and fill that cup. The, the other angle I, I, I want to say just in passing is so much of self-esteem has separated people from community. So if, if I'm feeling good about myself, I don't need you. Right, I, I don't, and if I try to rely on community, yeah, that's a mixed bag. You know, it's a little sketchy. Sometimes you like me, sometimes you don't. 
So if I can just sit in a corner and tell myself, do self-talk, positive self-talk, which isn't, which isn't bad, but if I'm relying on that to feel better about myself, I'm infinitely lonely. Particularly when God in heaven is looking down and going, just look up, man. If you want to feel good about yourself, look at your reflection in my eyes. And, and you will feel so much better about yourself because that's how you were made. You're talking about the fact that Gen X, Gen Y are walking away from faith because they yeah. don't see that it fills those basic needs within them. But I suspect that there's a whole lot of older people that are in the same camp. This is yeah. the thing that you found out about yourself. But many yep. people would perhaps be in denial saying, oh, no, it, it, it must be enough. It must be enough. Yeah. What are the things that they need to look out for within their own lives that tell them, actually, you're not living what you say you believe? Yeah, we boomers, uh, Gen X uh, would be in this category as well, elders to a little lesser degree. We have lived in really, ah, this is going to be a little unfair, but so let me make it provocative. We have been taught a very legalistic, moralistic religion for so, 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 so long. I'll give you an example. There's a friend of mine who's in church revitalization. I mean, he's just a well-known person in that arena. He's very, very, very good, but he shares, he just hopes he's doing enough so when he sees Jesus, he has a shot at Jesus saying, well done, good and faithful servant. And, and I've had this conversation with him. I said, look, you know, Jesus 2,000 years ago died so that he can say that about you now, all because of what he did. But we haven't been hearing that message Rodney, we, we just haven't. And so the Gen X, the, the boomer and the elder demographics, we're not expecting much. Dispensationalism has also really emphasized when Jesus returns and how great that's going to be, and it is, but it's not. it doesn't emphasize too much of what's going on right now. And so our churches are filled with people with very low expectations. When I go to churches for revitalization, I try to get the pastors to speak about the person who's coming in, who's hurting, who's needy, who's struggling with self, who's addicted, who's struggling with maybe sexual abuse in their background or pornography of such, and speak to them and proclaim them the gospel, and the rest of the congregation will, will hear it and hear it eventually. But that's hard because we boomers just want to hear information. You know, how many, how many epistles were there? Give me an outline of Romans. And those are, I love that, by the way. I'm a biblical theologian, but none of that's going to change anybody's lives. Pastors of boomer churches, it's, it's just we've forgotten that our goal was to touch people so that they uh, feel closer to Jesus, they feel the, the power of the Spirit, and they feel better about themselves and have more hope leaving our congregation every time they come in. That's hard to measure, and so boomers don't particularly go that direction. You've seen this giant lack within our churches of yeah. being able to understand and fully assimilate what is in yeah. the Scripture rather than just the, the head knowledge of it. Yeah. So tell me, what have you done about it? How are you helping people towards understanding the love that God has for them, understanding that they don't have to be lonely, yeah. that they don't have to feel this sense of not being enough. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for the question. Well, we've we've created a number of things, but the one I want to mention to you, we've created two online packages, evidence-based. They take two hours or so, any smart device. The first one was actually my, my uh, doctoral 
project was to help people who can't forgive. Forgiving is hard. And we, the church, we've, we've rationalized forgiveness. You just need to choose to forgive. And in so doing, we make actually Christian victims, we, we, we make them more magnanimous than God because God never chooses to forgive. It requires the cross. It requires a, a trial, some justice before God even forgives. But, but we've been trying to encourage victims to forgive before they have had a trial. So we've created this two-hour online wonderful gospel intensive where people can have that trial before God for the crime, the hurt, the wounds committed against them. Over a thousand Christians have been through it. The results uh, are amazing. Uh, Desire for revenge goes down 20%. The sense of justice goes up 80%. Empathy towards the perpetrator goes up 40 plus percent. Ridiculous results. Uh, But the other one, which is really more on point of what we've been speaking to, we call it the dance. It is so much fun. It's been it's been out about a year. www.the-dance.org. Here's where we got the name. Fourth century Greek theologians, bless their hearts. This is only 300 years after Jesus. So they were trying to figure out how to describe the Trinity to their people. And here's the 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 analogy. They said that the Trinity exists in a perichoresis, which is a dance around. It's a circle dance. It's a celestial, joyous, honoring, connectedness and enoughness, rich area, context. And salvation then is this dance opens up and, and arms go down and grab you, grab me, grab Christians as we are, and drags us kicking and screaming into the dance. And for a moment, we hear the music. We feel the dance. We feel honored. We feel our shame drops a little bit. We feel more connected, more enough. And we're dancing for just a But then this world robs us of all of that, all the cares of the world, the turmoils, the trials, the anxieties, the pandemics, the, the wars. It just robs us of that. And so what we created was a two-hour seven station online journey so that people can begin to hear the music again. The first 12 minutes is just fun dancing, creatively imagined, just dancing to get people involved. The the big punchline, and I won't say too much because I want your uh, listeners to do it. The big punchline is we, we have them actually taking their critical inner voice to trial before God. And, and that's a, such a freeing, powerful, powerful, powerful thing. So listen, for your listeners, it, it's 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 only $29 originally. We wanted to price it at a fraction of a counseling visit. But for your listeners, we're knocking another $10 off of that. And all they have to do when they go to www.the-dance.org is in the, in the coupon slot, Bleeding Daylight. Uh, all one word, lowercase, and they get a, a $10 coupon. So it's it's really inexpensive. And like I said, it only takes two hours. Anybody can do it. And it is so much fun. Uh, by the way, a satisfaction guaranteed. If they still didn't get a hit out of it, God bless them. I mean, we, we don't want to charge them a thing. And I was going to mention the fact that this is an online course that will cost you some money. And oftentimes, these days, we are conditioned to believe that we go online and everything is ours for free. And yet, 
this is actually around about the price you would pay for a good book, and we don't generally have an issue with that. And so there is an opportunity to invest in your own life. Again, sometimes we we think, well, it's all free, so we don't really realize the value of it. But it's not a big price to actually dive in and say, is this actually going to help me to connect with what God is calling out in my own life. So, yeah, we would recommend people go there. And I will put the link in the show notes, and I'll mention the the coupon there mm-hmm. that people can, can use and, and, and connect Thank with you. it. What is maybe one of the things that you would give as an encouragement for people who are feeling this sense of not enough or, or of shame or of loneliness? Yeah, if people are actually feeling that, oh my goodness, and the counselors would tell you this as well, Rodney, is you're half the way there. Denial is the crusher. If you've just fallen asleep in the pews and you're you're just uh, you know getting getting shamed every time you come and you're not experiencing this uh, fullness of God, the height and width and length and depth of the love of Jesus for you and for your neighbors, if you're not experiencing that, yeah, uh, take a look. But if you begin to experience that, God bless you. The path is simple. We are we are all on it. All you have to do is ask. Ask God. There is something you need to do. Ask God to give you the power of the Holy Spirit through your inner being, uh, the Spirit in your inner being, so that you could actually begin to feel the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ. One theologian of the 17th century that I like said this, that that, what I just talked about is the secret working of the Holy Spirit. That's the passion of the Holy Spirit in Christians, to make us feel enough and connected. And if we're feeling more enough and connected in my uh, relationship with God today, it's going to bleed over in my relationship with others. It, It just will. That's the encouraging thing. This is not rocket science, Rodney. It, it is not rocket science. And it's so easy to do. Maybe that's the thing that we we uh, we despise. I mean, when I'm talking to people about this, some of the re- reaction I get is, you know, online, really? Can, can anything online actually make a difference in my life? And uh, I, I get the, the cynicism, but yeah, yeah. If, if the gospel's on there. Absolutely. The gospel is the power to believe. Believe what? Well, among the many things to believe is that God actually loves me, the sinner, as I am right now. And that's part of my uh, impetus motivation to actually go and love him and love others more. Let's bring it full circle. You mentioned right at the start of our conversation that you discovered for yourself that you were in this place where it really wasn't connecting for you. And that sent you into a depression and a desire to actually make that connection. Fast forward to now, what does it look like for you? I I share with people all the time, I do not wake up feeling the love of Christ. I know I have it, Rodney, but I do not wake up feeling, I am shame prone. I can tell you why. I've been to counseling and I'm getting better, but I I actually daily have to say uh, what I call the simple uncluttered gospel. I actually we've made this into into cards, but let me read it to you because your 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 listeners may just really benefit from this. Here it is. Jesus follower, strictly because of what Jesus did for you two thousand years ago, God actually loves you. 
He loves you with all of his heart. As much as the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father, he can't love you any more or any less than he does right now. He loves you as you are, not as you should be or could be. You can't add to this love or take away from it. Now I get it. It often feels like you've messed it up or need to do something so that God would like you better. Not so. How do you experience it more now? Simple. Good news. There is something that you can do. Rodney, we always need to have give people something they can do. Uh, there is something you can do. You can take daily baby steps to ask the Spirit inside of you to make you know, experience, and feel just how much God loves you right now. Just ask. Ask again later today. Ask tomorrow. Make it a spiritual habit. So I encourage people to say that twice a day minimum for four weeks. So it gets in our heads. Word for word, we're creating a new habit. And it's remarkable the difference that gospel makes. Bill, it has been a delight to talk to you, to hear your passion for this, and to also know that it's making a difference. If you look at the website, you'll see the stats of of what a difference it is making in the lives of of many people as they go through this course, as they Mm -hmm. use the resources that are there. So we know that this is having a great effect, and it's giving people a sense of freedom out of a sense of loneliness, out of a sense of not enoughness, and and that's what we're asking for. Yeah. Looks like Jesus, right? It looks like a little bit of what Jesus did when he was around. Absolutely. So we just want to say thank you for what you've put together. That is helping so many people. And thank you especially for spending some time with us today on Bleeding Daylight. Thank you, man. God bless. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.